Hey everyone, Weston Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. It is Thursday, April 6, 2023 at Asia Markets Close. Welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you the global market commentary and analysis from the Asia-Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. So today, I'm going to follow up from the previous episode of Market Depth this Tuesday, which was called The Most Critical Month for Bank of Japan is Here. Um, this is uh, an episode in which I kind of laid out the importance of this month of April because of the Bank of Japan leadership change um, that begins this weekend, as well as the first BOJ meeting under the brand new governor Ueda that's going to be coming at the end of this month. So today in the follow-up, I'm going to do my further view, but specifically my view as to this end of April BOJ meeting, um, the first one under governor Ueda what my view is going into that, what my views of, you know, potential policy or rather actually just kind of what my approach is. My conclusion might actually be surprising to uh, to you guys, or maybe not. But nonetheless, just in order to understand where I'm coming from and just to understand what's going on with market behavior around BOJ and general. So we'll discuss that via the dynamics of the yen, the currency price action, and therefore how to kind of frame up monitoring markets through the lens of dollar yen as it relates to global bond yields um, as the month progresses, okay? And at the end here, I'll just give you how to go about trading the BOJ catalyst at the end of the month via yen, via rates, or even playing the BOJ via equities um, and to play it in really in either direction, right? So I'm just gonna like kind of lay out different options, whether you share my view or take the other side or not, you know, just some uh, ideas of how to express and uh, execute accordingly if you wish to do so. Of course, none of this is trading advice. It's trading non-advice, as in don't take my advice. First, just a quick snapshot of markets from today out of Asia, okay? Because equities across the region, yeah, they were down. Uh, following yesterday's week, U.S. market close. This is all ahead of non-far payrolls on Friday of this week, tomorrow, um, in which U.S. markets will be closed. So today from Asia, underperformers for today were Japan and Korea. So the Nikkei closes down about one and a quarter percent. Kospi was almost down one and a half percent. And we're seeing weakness in the semiconductor names um, as Japan's, you know, sort of new restrictions on, on chip exports to China. Um, these recent ones that just came out that drew sharp criticism from China saying that China would respond um, if these wrong practices of restricting I think it's about 20, 23 or so kinds of different kinds of manufacturing equipment um, that will be restricted for export to China. You know, as basically this is Japan further strengthening ties with the United States um, on the broader kind of U.S. versus China split, if you will. Obviously, it's not just Japan. This is the, the SOX index in the U.S. Yesterday, U.S. trading, we saw names like NVIDIA, Lamb Research, AMD, and others hold back. Nothing too crazy. But, but Japan today, we saw some of the heaviest trading in terms of notional turnover and volume um, on names like LaserTech, uh, Tokyo Electron, Kians, they're all down like 4 to 5% at the end of the day, as opposed to the, the megabank stocks that have been, you know, dominating the, the top of the most actively traded names as of, as of late. Timing of this kind of widening geopolitical divide or this economic divide comes as French President Emmanuel Macron arrives in Beijing uh, as we speak to try to strengthen ties with China um in the effort for peacemaking so um yeah equities pull back and then we're also continuing to see dm yields decline once again so in the past five days we've seen you know take the 10-year tre u.s treasury yield fall from you know 3.6 percent now uh to around three and a quarter um and it's obviously not just in the u.s as i said this is this global dm yields on a downtrend in the last few days 
That is, with the exception of JGB yields, which are actually going in the opposite direction. They're on an uptrend in the last few days. Um, and now they're back towards the 50 basis point yield curve control cap. Um, you know, with this is after ending the month of March at just above the previous yield curve control 25 basis point cap. So you could say that, I guess, they've almost doubled this first few days of uh, April. And we are seeing this yield divergence, I guess, divergence in terms of the general direction of travel, but it's actually convergence between yield spreads um, between, you know, US, Japan. As we see this yield convergence, we are seeing yen strengthen or dollar yen drop accordingly. Um, and it's currently just been hovering around the 130, 131 area. Now, why do you need to watch currencies and notably do dollar yen? It's because like specifically dollar yen is a primary gauge and read on things like US Treasury yields directionally or the Bank of Japan or the Fed or, um, how, you know, relative policy convergence or divergence and how all of this, you know, kind of ties together in relation. Right. Um, and so that's why I'm going to go over ways in which to trade the yen uh, or dollar yen directionally. Um, based on yield curve control, because as we'll see in a moment, it's because the yen price um, and price levels and price action is extremely heavily dependent on the very existence of yield curve control in Japan. That means that a sudden removal or even a, even a change in yield curve control under the new BOJ leadership at the end of this month, should that happen, uh, that will massively move the yen against not just the dollar, but against the euro, against the British pound, against the Aussie dollar and against EM currencies. And it is the, you know, the, the core thesis and view for many market participants around the world right now and domestically in Japan. Um, and so because markets are split on what the near term fate of yield curve control is, the yen is poised to either be very volatile as we head closer to the end of April or the yen will make a major directional move in response to or after whatever comes out of BOJ in April or both volatility into and coming out of. And that means further volatility in the U.S. Treasury market, further move upwards in the VIX and so on. Or not, sorry, not the VIX, in the move and so on. And then that can then further spill over into other currencies, into other bond markets, into credit um, and even riskier assets, equities, and so on, um, because carry trades and, you know, all the unwinding, all that positioning will have to readjust based on this one potential policy move or even not move. Okay. Okay. So let's just start with this. This is a very simple chart of USDJPY, dollar yen, and the 10-year US Treasury yield. And as you can see, they move more or less, you know, in, in tandem with one another. Not all the time. Yield spreads are not the only drivers of currencies. I'm not going to get into all of that right now. I'm only talking about yield spreads and currencies for the sake of this discussion. Um, but you can see dollar yen and the 10-year US Treasury yield, um, at the very least, directionally move, you know, in tandem. Why? Why is this happening? It's because of yield spreads. What do I mean by that? This is the same exact chart, but I've added the 10-year JGB yield. Yield spreads are what the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield is minus what the 10-year JGB yield is. That difference, that yield spread differential is what I mean by yield spreads. And that is visible here. This blue and white sort of area chart that is the U.S. to Japan 10-year nominal yield spread. That's the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield minus what the 10-year JGB yield is, the yield differential, the yield spread. Um, and as you can see, that spread 
uh, and dollar yen overlaid on top of that spread, they mirror one another because currencies are by and large a function of yield spreads. Now the question is, why did the yen get absolutely crushed or why did dollar yen surge in 2022? It is because of yield curve control. This is what was yield curve controls 25 basis point upper limit cap um, that was there until the end of 2022. But essentially you have a rising yield environment globally because of inflation, because of central banks globally, just like lifting rates, yields in an inflationary environment go higher and JGB yields are not any, you know, are not exempt from that force and they are supposed to be moving higher as well. However, the Bank of Japan steps in and conducts yield curve control and artificially caps the 10-year JGP yield at 25 basis points. And as they cap that yield, the rest of the world is obviously not subject to this, um, the, the other yield curves around the world. And so they will continue to move higher. And so as the 10-year US Treasury yield moves higher and the JGP yield is capped at 25 basis points artificially, the yield spread blasts apart and therefore dollar yen will move accordingly and surge. And that is why the yen got crushed because the JGB yield did not keep up with the rest of the world in rising yields um, because of the Bank of Japan. That's what made Japan and the BOJ and the JGB curve and therefore dollar yen these very weird outliers and these making these extreme, extreme moves last year because of extreme policy. At the December Bank of Japan meeting at the end of last year, when Bank of Japan raised the yield curve control upper band limit to 0.5% from 0.25%. What that did was it closed some of that yield spread between the 10-year US Treasury yield and the 10-year JGB yield. So you're seeing a compression of yields or yield spreads uh, compressing. And as that happens, dollar yen falls and therefore the yen strengthens. Okay, so that's what happened. And that's why the yen has been strengthening quite significantly, and it could be either because the U.S. Treasury yield is falling, or it could be because the JGB yield is rising, or it could be both. So what would happen, in theory, you know, if the Bank of Japan were to lift yield curve controls cap yet again, or abolish it altogether? All right, well, let's take a look at this chart. This is, like, if they brought it up to, say, 1%, right, that red 10-year JGB yield is going to surge upwards, and if the U.S. Treasury yield happens to stay flat or, or or fall continuously, but even if it doesn't even fall, if it just stays flat, that yield spread is going to continue to compress. And so dollar yen is going to continue to fall and the yen is going to strengthen significantly. Okay, so that's how that generally would play out. This slide is basically, if you just look at what happened recently, when the 10-year JGB yield got absolutely crushed, but also, you know, yields globally got crushed. When that happened, you saw dollar yen fall. And the reason you saw it fall is because although they both got crushed and although the JGB yield got crushed more on a rate of change basis, the yield spread, the nominal yield spread compressed, right? Because JGB yields fell, what, 25 basis points or whatever it is. But the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield fell quarter, so like 75 basis points. So basically that, you know, nominal yield spread did compress. And that's why you see dollar yen fall from 138 or so, 137, down to 130 very, uh, very quickly. You know, as of April, you're actually seeing JGB yields start to rise, as I mentioned in the, earlier this episode, as 10-year U.S. Treasury yields are falling. And so now you're getting hit from both sides, and therefore you see USDJPY falling. 
that's basically how it works, and that's kind of the history of what you know we've gone through and what we're kind of setting up for. So basically, if the Bank of Japan lifts the yield curve controls cap um, at the end of April, then you could expect the yen to strengthen. But it also depends on what you know other yields are doing. And if the Bank of Japan raises yield curve control, the upper band limit to like one percent, but let's say that for whatever reason, ten-year U.S. Treasury yields spike up to like 7% or something like that. So if that happens, yes, the 10-year JGB yield might have a new upper band cap, but it will be capped, assuming that it does get capped. It'll be capped at 1%, and meanwhile, if other yields, like in the U.S., just blast ever higher as it stays capped, you'll see that same dynamic that we saw in 2022, where 10-year JGB yield is static, the 10-year Treasury yield is going to, you know, exploding higher, and therefore dollar-yen goes higher. So in 2022, this was a much easier sort of trade, right? Because my view was that there's going to be, you know, continued increase in 10-year U.S. Treasury yields, as there was. And so that dollar-yen price action is going to follow the yield spread differential or follow the 10-year U.S. Treasury higher. In this case, however, now you have two different variables. You have, we don't know what's going to happen directionally with the U.S. Treasury yield. And you don't know what's going to happen with a 10-year JGB yield. So that's what makes it very difficult to, you know, kind of directly trade the yen at current, you know, at present moment. It's much easier once you have, uh, you know, yields just that are globally just rising. And then one of them, the JGB yield, that gets artificially stopped and capped along the way. But the other ones continue to rise. That's when it's easier to just go long dollar, short JPY or long dollar yen or short the yen. Um, however, you have to be very careful of not doing that uh, past like the 150-ish level because that's when the Ministry of Finance will come in and s do a currency intervention and smack dollar yen down. And basically, don't sh cover cover your short um, on yen or your long dollar yen position at around those levels or before those levels, um, and don't certainly don't open them as they're breaking out to new highs. Um, it's a very dangerous sort of thing to do. So, what's my view for the April BOJ? What's going to come out of it? I have no idea. So I guess I lied to you in the beginning of the episode by saying that I have a view. Now, here, here's here's what my view is, or here's how my framework is, okay? The, I actually I don't have a view for these two reasons. First of all, as I mentioned in other episodes, I don't know what a governor, Bank of Japan Governor Ueda is going to behave like or what his thinking is or what his stance is. Or, you know, all, all, Nobody knows any of that, right? Until I get at least one, if not more, meetings under my belt, I don't feel comfortable knowing this guy like I, do, like I did Kuroda. Kuroda was going to be very steadfast and hold firm and not give uh, any, an inch of room on yield curve control due to CPI. But this new guy, I don't know, right? So I don't know how he's going to behave. Um, second reason is because I don't know what the market is going to set up is going to be. It's still a very long ways away um, until then. This is what I mean by that. This is the current state of the markets over the last five days. You know, DM yields are falling everywhere. U.S., Germany, Italian BTP, Aussie, even with a RBA, uh, no change, and 10-year gilt yields. But you'll see that JGB yields, however, go going the other way. And so when the JGB yield is climbing as the others are falling, that is closing up yield spreads between Japan and the rest of these respective countries and their yields. And therefore, you see yen strength. And this picture in this kind of directional, global directional, you know, trend in yields, and then Japan just kind of, you know, going going the opposite way. This did not happen until you know the last few days. So if you were to ask me my view for what I can expect from the Bank of Japan at the end of April last week, it would be a very different answer from what it is currently. 
And that's and who the hell knows what's going to be next week and the following week and the following week, let alone the week heading into, right? So until we're like right up up against that point and I see what the market condition actually is and the market pricing and the market trend actually is and positioning and all that, there's no way that I or anybody for that matter would know, would be able to make a, a coherent call um, on what to expect out of BOJ in policy because they are very market dependent, let alone what the market response is, let alone like how to actually trade it. Okay, it's way too early to do this. The BOJ is a day trader when it comes to policy. I don't care if it's a new guy or whatever it is. They are at the, the whim of the same markets and the same setup and the same sort of you know template that Kuroda had left. Okay, so finally, with all, all that said though, what is my kind of approach and thinking and, and therefore what will formulate my view? How about this? Like, let's make a theoretical. Let's say there was no Governor Ueda. Let's say that this was just yet another month of of BOJ Governor Kuroda, gotten very familiar with and comfortable to trade, you know, upon. Um, if it was Kuroda in these sort of circumstances, right, Silicon Valley Bank or whatever, all that kind of stuff, um, I would have said that this yield pullback is a massive gift to the Bank of Japan because they don't have to conduct yield curve control. They don't the yield. Uh, JDB yields are not pushed right up against that level in which they have to conduct unlimited buying operations to cap yields in on J, on JGBs, right? Um, so it would, I would say that they, you know, it would be a it'd be a very nice gift. And as it stands right now, or as it stood last week, I would have said that uh, about Ueda. I would have said that this he was loving this whole kind of mayhem going on and and yields just dropping. And that would be a great way for him to start um, his his tenure, right? To not have to go day-to-day -day fighting markets um, with the 10-year JGB yield pressed right up against right to trying to burst out of uh, that ceiling that he has to defend or that he has to move up. Um, but here's here's what I'm thinking, okay? Now, I mentioned this many times before. Japan CPI is not what is driving decisions around um, yield curve control. It's simply not. Uh, the reason that they lifted the 10-year JGB yield, control, yield curve control cap in December was not because they suddenly realized and acted upon inflation in Japan. But why did they do it? They did it because of market dysfunctioning. The, the, this famous kink in the uh, JGB curve, the yield curve, okay? This is what the JGB yield curve looked like, you know, at the end of September of 2022, as well as like a month before that and six months before that. This is a yield curve in which there was so much concentrated buying happening at the 10-year tenor, the 10-year JGB tenor. There was so much pressure, upwards pressure on global yields, and the Bank of Japan had to keep buying unlimited amount of bonds, JGB 10s, specifically JGB 10s, to defend the 25 base point yield curve control cap, such that you actually have other tenors, like the 8-year and the 9-year JGB, yielding not just above the 10-year, but above the 25 base point yield curve control cap. Um, so this is a totally messed up yield curve and a, a yield curve in which like the 810 spread is inverted, if you will. This yield uh, curve kink and this sort of market dysfunctioning because of their huge amount of JGB buying and the illiquidity that it was causing and all that, that's why they moved the 10-year JGB yield curve control cap upwards because they thought if they moved it upwards, maybe that'll smoothen out the kink. Now, did that work? Did that smoothing out of the yield curve attempt work? No, it did not. It very much backfired. This is what happened to the yield curve, okay? This orange line is right before the December Bank of Japan meeting, and the black line is right before the January Bank of Japan meeting. And as you can see, December, um, right before the meeting, there was, there was this kink in the yield curve, 
And so what they tried to do was if they they thought if they lifted that to 50 basis points, that would smoothen out the yield curve so there wouldn't be this kink. Um, and instead, what happened was in between those two meetings in the span of a month, the kink got much, much worse. Why did it get worse? Because that started this whole like massive amount of speculation, especially from foreigners, to short the JGB market because they thought that this was Japan finally buckling under the pressure of an inappropriate policy in the face of rising inflation, um, that the, Japan is getting you know in line with the rest of the world, that um, you know the policy is unsustainable, so on and so forth. Yield curve control is gone. Easing is gone. This is the last major holdout, and this is the end of a, an era of easing, and now they're going to be normalizing and so on and so forth, and they're just going to start this like great hiking cycle or whatever it is. And so all of that speculative pressure and all that JGB selling happened so much that the entire yield curve in Japan shifted upwards. But BOJ had to maintain that new... 0.5%. The BOJ made things much, much worse. In fact, it got to a point where they were buying an unlimited amount of 10-year JGBs on a daily basis just to maintain that specific tenor, such that the BOJ bought half of the amount of JGBs that they had allotted for that month, which was an increased amount. They did half of that, that amount in the span of a single day. In two days, they exceeded what they thought they were going to do for the entire month. In four days, they ended up doing basically 180 billion USD worth of QE, worth of bond buying. What the Fed was doing at max QE, 120 billion, on a monthly basis, they did the BOJ did 50% more than the Fed was doing in a month, but they did that in four days. That was this January. That's how much QE that the Bank of Japan was doing during that period. And they did that. They had to do that because they made this grave policy error of thinking that if they just lifted that upper band, that it'll just smooth things out. Oh, and by the way, data just came out this past week, and it reveals that the BOJ in fiscal year 2022, so basically from April 2022 to just you know this past month of March 2023, uh, the BOJ bought a record 135 trillion yen in JGBs in fiscal year 2022, um, which is basically a little bit over 1 trillion USD in JGB buying yeah, this this past year. In the year in which every other major central bank was tapering, raising rates and all that, the Bank, bank of Japan did the most QE. Like, this is an insane amount, even for BOJ standards. Just to put things in perspective, okay? So they just did, this past fiscal year, they did you know, 135 trillion yen worth of JGB buying versus about 60 trillion the previous year. And compare that also to when Kuroda first started, when he launched this bazooka, when he launches like massive initial bazooka in 2013, that was about 80 trillion yen. Okay, so that's basically 1.5 times more than his initial 2013 bazooka. Um, and is, you know, again, it's more than double on a year-over-year -year basis. So it's insane for them to keep doing this. That's why it's seen as unsustainable, right? Um, you can't just be doing like a 1 trillion USD worth of, you know, 100 trillion um, yen worth of JDB buying year after year after year or increasing, you know, doubling the amount. What are they going to do? Like 200 trillion yen uh, for this fiscal year? So at some point it's seen as like they're going to have to exit blah, 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 right?
this is after that. Things calmed down a little bit, but still, you can still see in February, in the beginning of February, there was still this kink that remains. However, if you now look at the situation as of today, the JGB curve actually starting to smooth out, if not smoothed out. And they can thank global front-end yields collapsing uh, for that. And they haven't really had to conduct like all this bond buying on yield curve control fixed rate operations in order for them to achieve this um, at all. In fact, those fixed rate operations are what makes that kink there in the first place. But if you actually look at conditions right now, things are very different. Things are actually um, almost favorable. You have, as I said, you have a smoothed out yield curve, right? So that problem is gone, if not mitigated, kind of on its own. Um, and you also have this. You have like inflation that is actually kind of down ticking a little bit. And the rest of the world is also, you know, kind of rolling over a little bit on CPI, although still too high um, and still too high for Japan as well. But so all this kind of necessitates for like maybe like, you know, he's not under this like insane amount of pressure that he has to stand firm against yield curve control or whatever it is. Um, and so at least for this first meeting, he's alleviated of that, right? Here's where I'll say something that might be controversial, okay? I think, and look, again, I don't know who the guy is, so this is could be, could be completely wrong. But let's just put it this way. If this were Kuroda, right, and you were given that scenario, I would actually say that that is when you might actually get a yield curve control change or potential tearing off of the Band-Aid. When yields are not pushed up against the yield curve control upper band and when CPI is coming back down and uh, and all that. And basically all these things that you would think would necessitate for BOJ to continue their easing process, that's the time where they would do it if they were to do it, where they would make a change, where they were to either either abolish it altogether or they were to make a, you know, a move to 1% like kind of trading ban because that's when they can do it on their own terms and that's when the markets are not having yields pressured and ready to burst out um, and immediately hit another yield curve control high level and then they have to conduct another round of fixed rate unlimited buying JGB operations and just rack up another $1 trillion worth of uh, JGB buying on the balance sheet and all that. When the conditions don't warrant it is when they'll probably do it. The conditions as in the pressure from the markets, the pressure from uh, inflation and all that. Inflation's on a downtick. The JGB yields are not at the push up against like that level. You have days of zero trades. I think that that actually would set up, would be a setup for them to make a move. But if it's not, right, if CPI is higher, we have one more CPI reading before this. If CPI comes back upwards and JGB yield is like right up against the 50 base point cap and they're conducting fixed rate operation after fixed rate operation and they're buying you know billions of jgbs on, on, on a daily basis and all that kind of thing that's when they're not going to do it just like the same thing as how it was in, in january um and i think that they would do it and would take advantage of the move when when you would not expect them to so that's kind of my view right but again none of, none of this is relevant because it's still too far away there's anything could change in terms of market dynamics and all that kind of thing we still have to see what that cpi print is but would only work in a uh, scenario in which there's it's a rising global yield environment, right? And yields are, on JGBs are also going up such that they are being pushed up against the upper limit of yield curve control cap, right? Under that scenario, if you believe that the Bank of Japan is going to remove yield curve control cap or like lift it higher or whatever it is, make an alteration higher, then you would want to be 
long the yen or you would want to be short USD JPY because that removal of the JDB cap will therefore shove JDB yields higher and therefore compress the yield spread differential um, and USD JPY will head downwards. And so therefore you want to be long the yen um, or short dollar yen. And if you feel that there won't be any change, that's kind of tougher to do, but you can either do nothing or there's so much positioning for that change to occur and it doesn't happen. They have to reverse and scramble cover that position. You can be long USD JPY. Okay, so here's how you can actually trade this directionally. Okay, so this is um, for people who, if you don't have a Forex trading account or something like that, um, if you don't trade currencies, but you want to take a directional view on the yen via the BOJ, this is one way you, you could do it, okay, if you're like a U.S. equity investor. There are two Japan uh, ETFs that are listed in the United States. One is EWJ and the other is DXJ. They don't hold the same exact composition, but they're by and large more or less the same thing. It's just Japan large cap. It's, it's a basket of Japan large cap stocks, right? The difference is that DXJ is FX hedged, okay? It's hedged. It's currency hedged. Um, and so what that means is that if you do a long, short market neutral pair trade in which you are long and short the same notional amount, or in other words, you short one, you take the proceeds from the short, the cash proceeds, and you buy the other leg of it, right? And so therefore your net cash outlay to put the trade on is zero. If you basically go long EWJ, short DXJ, what that does, that long short, it negates the equity parts of both ETFs and it kind of leaves just the FX hedged part. And so if you look at this chart, you'll see, first of all, you'll see the performance differential between EWG and J and DXJ. First, so say like, you know, until 2022 in this chart, they more or less percent for percent move together. And then they suddenly just diverge from one another. Why? Why did that happen? Obviously, it's because of the FX hedge part of it. It's not because of the, the makeup of the actual stocks themselves, okay, you know, to trade. And so if you look at the bottom half of that chart, you'll see that this the long DXJ short EWJ ratio basically matches up with dollar yen, spot dollar yen. It actually used to be very close, like in terms of percent for percent um, throughout much of last year, and, and it kind of diverged since then. But so it's not percent for percent, but um, directionally, they move kind of in tandem. So if you want to play this so that, you know, if you if you think that the BOJ will lift the yield commercial cap, then that would mean that you are bullish on the yen and you would be short DXJ long EWJ. And if you believe that there will be no change in yield commercial cap, then you would be long DXJ short EWJ. And again, this would have to be in a setup in which there is a rising yield environment globally and the JGB yield is pushed right up against the upper limit of yield curve control cap. That's the only way that would work. But that's one sort of way to, to play it. And then finally, the other way to play it, and this is something that I personally have on, but although I don't believe that there's going to be any change per se, but again, for the six millionth time this video, I don't know yet. It's still too early to decide. But just in case, right? Because um, it could go either way. If you do feel that there's going to be a yield curve control cap change or uh, elimination at this meeting or really any other, but like this kind of current setup, just go long topics banks.
you could either be long top spanks as a basket or you'd be long single stocks there they trade in the united states mufg is a ticker smfg is another ticker mfg musical financial group that's another ticker but basically as you can see like you know topic spanks had absolutely surged um when the yield curve control bands got lifted uh to 50 basis points and then when they did not get lifted all that positioning got on undone and so right now it's an you have an entry point where all topics banks have to do is just go back up to match back up the current 50 basis point cap so they don't even have to change anything right now they should be trading higher uh, based on the jgb curve so just be long topics topics banks my personal view or the way that i would play this i am playing this um and don't do what i'm doing and don't listen to what i'm saying because you're gonna lose all your money if you do but plan is basically just be long topics banks right now because they have fallen due to yields having fallen but you know sort of a nice entry point here but i'm not necessarily playing the thesis of they're going to change something i'm playing the thesis of there's going to be speculation that they're going to change something so i'm playing these speculative flows that will hopefully come behind me going into the end of this year uh this month and as they do and as they kind of lift up the topics banks long position i will kind of chip away and exit and hopefully have a nice gain but i want to be mostly out of it before that actual boj catalyst itself i'll depending on how much i you know how much upside i have perhaps i will leave some on the table just in case they do um lift something and just in case jgb yields do explode higher and then therefore topics banks see another breakout leg higher but for now it's just simply that they shot up on the initial lift of yield curve control in december they gave up all their gains boj did not continue to lift yield curve control in this cycle as they were expected to now is an entry point for that speculation to come back and if they do and do go go ahead with it then they're going to surge again so that's just another trade so that's how to go about trading it um i hope that this was helpful i will continue to give updates um and sort of trade ideas as they unfold and as they kind of the markets present them, present them to me but either way just make sure you stay tuned to market depth this month because this is a very critical month as i mentioned and watch the previous episode of market depth if in case you haven't already because it is uh, a critical explainer as to why this month of april is boj month okay thanks a lot see you next time